Good morning, church. It's good that you're here. Good that I'm here, and it's just happy to I'm happy to see you. Um, and our prayer is that um, our worship today is acceptable to our heavenly Father. Well, we're going to continue. <clears throat> I don't know what it is in my voice, but it feels like it's going again. We're going to continue our um, our verse by verse study in First Timothy, and in chapter four, starting with verse one here. Paul, he's going to narrow his focus a little bit from instructions to the church to instructions for Timothy, which really begins with a warning here about trusting the wrong authority in your life. And that's something that we need to understand. We need to look into. And starting with verse 1, he gives a solemn warning here. He says, Now the Spirit expressly says that in latter times, some would depart from the faith by devoting themselves to deceitful spirits and teachings of demons through the insincerity of liars whose consciences are seared, um, who forbid marriage and require abstinence from foods that God created to be received with thanksgiving by those who believe and know the truth. For everything created by God is good. And nothing is to be rejected if it's received with thanksgiving, for it is made holy by the word of God and prayer. So, number one on your outline, what we see is the reality of apostasy. The reality of apostasy. <clears throat> In that very first verse there, in later times, some will depart the faith. Uh, the faith um, Paul's reminding Timothy here. So, just a little explanation of this. Now, the Jewish view of history, it has two ages, you know, the present age and the age to come, where God will rule again in justice and shalom or peace, and uh, the age to come would not happen without a decisive struggle there. And these two ages were divided by what they called the day of the Lord. And on that day, the earth would be shaken or the world would be shaken and um, there would be this one last battle with evil and a universal judgment, and then the new age would come to a dawn. It would, it would, the new age would dawn. It would, it would start then. Now, Christians, on the other hand, they believe that the coming of Jesus has ushered in the last times or the later times there. Now, and you can see that in just a number of passages throughout the New Testament. <clears throat> for an example, I printed some there for you. First John chapter 2, verse 18 says, Children, it is the last hour, and as you have heard, the Antichrist is coming. And then in First Peter chapter 1, in verse 20, um, it says that Jesus was foreknown before the foundation of the world, but was made manifest in the last times for the sake of you. And then in Hebrews, the first chapter, in verse 2, it says, In these last days he has spoken to us by his Son. So what we have here is this warning from the Holy Spirit um, to Paul. It's not something that uh, just about the end times. It's a whole lot more involved in that because, see, we're living in the end times. We're living during that time. So this is really something that we should watch out for right now. This is something that we should be concerned about right now. Now, what will happen in these last days? 
What will happen? It tells you in the verse there. Some will depart from the faith. What it says. You know, the word apostasantai, which where we get our word apostasy comes from, it basically means to abandon the faith. You know, it's a Greek, very Greek. It's a strong Greek verb, which often used to... Um, in the Greek translation of Hebrew scriptures of Israel's unfaithfulness to Yahweh. It's used quite often that way. Well, people are going to leave their Christianity behind, and we should not be surprised when that happens, and we see it. Jesus also predicted this apostasy here in Matthew 24, verses 10 and 11. He says, many will fall away and betray one another and hate one another. And many false prophets will arise and lead many astray. You know, in his fav famous parable about the farmer in Matthew, the 13th chapter, he said that many people like seed that falls on rocky ground in verses 20 and 21. It says, as for, as for what was sown on rocky ground, this is the one who hears the word and immediately receives it with joy. Yet it has no root in himself, but endures for a while and when tribulation or persecution arises on account of the word, immediately he falls away. And to be fair about this, the Apostle Paul, he predicted it would happen in Ephesus here in Acts the 20th chapter, verses 29 and 30, when he met with the Ephesian elders. Maybe you remember that when, when um, uh, Woody was going over that. You know, in, in verse 29, I know that after my departure, Fierce wolves will come in among you, not sparing the flock. And from among your own selves will arise men speaking twisted things to draw away the disciples after them. Question here. How many of you know someone who has left their faith? Probably every one of you knows someone who's done that. And that's pretty sad. You know, and I'm old enough to know um, many people that have left Christianity for a variety of reasons. And some of them have been Christians all their lives. It's hard to understand that. And some that I know have been former pastors that are no longer believers. That's just hard to fathom for me. And when you look at the different reasons that some people say or some people give, um, it just blows your mind. But here are some of the most common reasons that people leave their faith. One is a problem of suffering. In their own mind, they say, you know, why would a good God allow bad things to happen to me? You ever heard that? Probably you have. Or, I, you know, I used to believe in Jesus, but A, B, and C, you know, happened to me. And how could a God, a good God, allow that to happen to me? Or how could God stand by while I was abused as a child? Or how could God allow um, the person that I love die? How could God do that? Why would a God who knits children together in their mother's womb allow some children to be born with these horrific genetic um, disorders that they only live a short while and they live painful lives when they do live? How can God do that? So some people's left the faith because of that, the problem of suffering. Some has left the faith because I was hurt by the church. You ever heard that? Probably you have. An overwhelming number of people who claim that they abandoned their faith because they were hurt by a church somewhere. 
And some of these are just trivial reasons. The pastor didn't show up at my grandma's funeral. And they left the church, you know. Or I left for six months and no one called me. You ever heard something like that? Very trivial. Why would you want to leave the church over something like that? And some others are more substantial, but I still ask the question, why would you want to leave the church over something that someone else is doing or not doing? You know, usually it's an excuse that you don't want to take on that responsibility yourself. You know, there was a guy who's no longer Christian because his wife had an affair with the pastor. Is that a reason to leave the church? I don't think so. Or a friend was abused by a youth leader growing up. Now, certainly, um, that's serious stuff, you know, and that does a lot of long-term spiritual damage. But should we leave the church over that? Is that something that God caused? I don't think so. Then there's questions and doubts here. You know, some people, they walk away from the faith because they, you know, they do have a lot of questions about the Bible for which they've really never got a satisfactory answer to. And their questions and their, their, their doubts lead them to, or not to a deeper, um, not deeper into the answers that the faith uh, can give, but it leads them toward deconstructionism. You know, they just want to tear themselves apart. And similarly, you know, the hypocrisy of Christians. You've heard that. I don't want to go to church. There's hypocrites over there. Um, are there any hypocrites in this church? Yes, there is. We all try, but we fall. Are we perfect? No. You know, we're here because we need to be here because we know who Jesus Christ is and what he can do for us. The church is kind of like a hospital where it fixes sick people up, you see. You know, anyway, they leave their faith because, you know, they don't want to be associated with other people who share that same faith. If you ask me, it's an excuse, you see. And then there's cultural and political pressure against biblical Christianity. Now, some people who are more honest, you know, when they're giving you the answer, they'll say, well, I stopped being a Christian because of what the Bible teaches about men and women's roles in the home and in the church. You know, or because ev uh, evangelical Christianity was, was too pro-Trump, or because the church didn't talk enough about the social issues that I think are important, whether it be gender or sexuality or racism or, or which candidate to vote for. And probably more than anything else, these are some of the reasons that you hear the most. And it's sad that you hear these reasons. And most of the time you think you're just making these up because you don't want to be in church. This is a choice that you have made and you want to blame it on something else. There are, there are just a, a myriad of, of reasons. But let me tell you something. Culture is trending against Christianity right now and not towards it. It's going the opposite direction. And I know because of your age, most of you, there was a time, um, and a, a lot of you remember, when that was the other way around, but not anymore. You know, in the coming years, we're going to see more extreme shift away from Christianity, and we see it every day, and it breaks our hearts. I know you see it, and if you watch the news, you just shake your head, and you can't believe that America has gone this far in the wrong direction. 
You know, <clears throat> we are in an age where there's going to be many, many people are walking away from their faith. You know, this is a reality. People are going to leave. You know, so we need to listen to the warning of the Holy Spirit. Many people will leave. We know that it's going to happen. Sure, it discourages us and it breaks our heart, but we know that it's going to happen. Notice the next part of verse 1 here. We have the second thing on our, on our outline, the route of apostasy. The route of apostasy by which they will depart. They will leave by devoting themselves to deceitful spirits. You know, out of all the reasons why people leave their faith, notice what the Bible says here. The main route by which people leave is by listening to deceitful spirits. They leave because they believe lies, folks. Now notice that, you know, the list that we read off earlier here, there are a lot of different reasons that people leave the faith, their faith in Christ. But underneath many of those reasons, at least, is a lie or it's a false teaching that they believed about God. Somewhere along the line, it normally hits those two things. Now, as far as I know, the only way to get people to devote themselves to a lie is to convince them that it's the truth. You see, there are some false teachings out there that are just so blatantly false um, that it's relatively easy to refute it because it's just so crazy. But the most dangerous kind of lies are the ones that seem legitimate, the ones that seem like they're truth. The hardest lies are the ones that look like the truth. And that's why it's really exceedingly important that we guard the gospel against lies. And the only way we can guard the gospel against lies is we have to know the gospel. We have to study it and know it. And getting more specific here, Paul, he just keeps, it's kind of like a funnel. He's, he's drawing, and the further you get down the funnel, the closer and closer you get to your target there. Paul notes number three, the root of apostasy here. You know, the, way, the reason people are, are turning away from Jesus is not just lying spirits, but also the teachings of demons. Now, I don't think we think about that enough. That's one of those things that we just kind of put out of our mind because maybe we don't understand it. But most Christians, when you talk about spiritual warfare, they seem to think about the temptation of the flesh. But according to the Apostle Paul here, um, one of the main ways people, one of the main ways they are led astray from the truth is through demonic teaching. Now, this is pretty strong language. Um, you don't see this too often, but I think it's I think it's a real dangerous label for you and I to just throw out flippantly, because it is it is big and it is mean. Because to say that something is not just untrue, it means that we can correct it with the truth. We can do that, but demonic that means it needs to be outright rejected. It needs to be rebuked. There, you know. However, we need to understand that. Behind every false teaching is a demonic strategy to deceive everyone in the world. 
And you've heard me say this over and over and over, and the devil is good at what he does. And he knows how to pull your strings. And he does it very well. <clears throat> In 1 John, sorry my voice is just going. You guys just help me out if I need it, okay? Um, in 1 John, it's in, in uh, chapter 4 and verse 1, it says, Beloved, do not believe every spirit, but test the spirits to see whether they are from God. For many false prophets have gone out into the world. Now, folks, I really think that we need to pay attention to this right here. You know, it's interesting to me that he doesn't say test the teaching. And it's interesting to me that he doesn't say test the ideas, although certainly we need to do that. But he says, test the spirit behind the words of the false prophets. Test them. In 2 Corinthians chapter 11 and verses 3 and 4, Paul says, I am afraid that as the serpent deceived Eve by his cunning, your thoughts will be led astray from a sincere and pure devotion to Christ. For if someone comes and proclaims another Jesus than the one we proclaimed, or if you receive a different spirit from the one you received, or if you accept a different gospel from the one you accepted, you put up with it readily enough. Now notice how Paul, two things he connects here, receiving a different spirit and with accepting a different gospel. Folks, the root of every false teaching is demonic. You hear that? The root of every false teaching is demonic. And we need to test the spirit. We need to reject the lies. And we need to embrace the truth. Now, verse 2, we're getting over to um, our fourth point. It describes the representatives for apostasy. Even though behind every false teaching is a demonic influence, there are also human messengers. And unfortunately, the devil uses us sometime to carry that message. And Paul describes these particular representatives, verses 2 and 3. Through the insincerity of liars whose consciences are seared, who forbids marriage and requires abstinence, from certain foods. Now, as I'm putting this together, the temptation for me was, was to list everything the New Testament teaches, you know, tells us about false teaching and false teachers, but that's another sermon, and certainly we wouldn't have enough time to do that today. But here, specifically, in this, in this instance, Paul, he's dealing with a very specific kind of false teaching prevalent in Ephesus, and it seems to be some kind of Gnosticism here. Now, Gnosticism, that was a first century heresy that involved a rejection of the material world in favor of the spiritual. You know, and really it's kind of fascinating, isn't it? When you look into it, it's like, hey, this is kind of neat. I'll look into it. You know, Paul does not say that they deny the deity of Christ or anything big like that. You know, they say you can't get married or you can't eat meat. Now, I suppose there's nothing wrong with being single or even being a vegetarian. <laughs> I say that, and every time I say vegetarian, I'm thinking, well, Denny, Denny's definition of a vegetarian is a poor hunter. <laughs> um, okay, that didn't cost any extra there. But within this warning, Paul, he's urging believers everywhere 
to caution in different ways concerning these representatives here. And the first is this, beware of those who are hypocritical. Beware of those who are hypocritical. Now, the word um, translated insincerity there is uh, hypocrisis in Greek, which is hypocrites, okay? They don't live what they preach. Their walk does not match their talk. You know, it doesn't matter if a Christian teaches, a teacher is teaching perfect doctrine. You know, if they themselves are not living out what they preach, they will eventually, they'll do great damage to the credibility of the, of the gospel. We've seen that with some television evangelists before. You know, if they're not wearing both socks, meaning the, you know, the right belief and the right living, we need to beware of them. And the second thing, beware of those with um, a cauterized conscience, you know, seared. The only place that I know of, I think, is used right here in the scriptures, the word seared in the entire New Testament. You know, that word means to brand with a, a red hot iron. You know, they've been living lies so long that their consciences have been cauterized. Um, it's a word used to donate a, a branding of cattle to prove ownership. Um, you've seen that on the Westerns before. Burned skin. They cannot even feel the warnings of the conscience anymore. They can't feel their own conscience. Their moral compass is just calloused or, or scarred over. You know, and all they care about is a paycheck or, or getting and keeping power. That's all they care about. You know, the moral compass is whatever it takes to keep that power. You know, their cynicism has caused them to view the gospel as merely a means to their own selfish end here. And then C on your outline. You know, beware of those who reject God's created order. Now here you see in the scriptures, they forbid marriage. You know, apparently these teachers were forbidding people from getting married and having sex. This kind of abstinence you know, was not merely for the sake of self-discipline and living a life focused on God, but rather it was based on the assumption that sexuality is bad. In fact, there was a popular um, teacher of Gnosticism um, named Saturninus, you know, who lured many Christians away from the sound teaching by claiming that marriage and reproduction were created by Satan. See, listen, Gnosticism rejected everything that God created to be good and life-given. Gnosticism is not something we want to get tied up in. And uh, we see this in our own culture. This wasn't just exclusive to back then. This is in our own culture. In our own culture, we're continuing to embrace forms of a new kind of Gnosticism. Now think with me on this, and you know that it's true. A new kind of Gnosticism that seeks to dissolve the nuclear family to divide up God's people and reject God's good creation. We see that every day happening um, in our world. <clears throat> God's created order for marriage has been something that only takes place between uh, a male and a female is something that is ridiculed by our culture. They laugh at that. And not only that, but if you don't embrace the modern view that God's order should be deconstructed, then, then you're labeled a bigot or other words, you know, or, or worse, 
here. And similarly, the, the predominant postmodern worldview of our culture says that if it says that you have to look inward to discover your own identity. You see that going on right now before your eyes. And once you decide what that identity is, society has to cater to you. See, and of course, this worldview, it rejects God's view of sexuality, saying that men and women are basic, you know, rejects God's view of sexuality. And they're saying that men and women are not basically any different from each other and says that we should not discriminate by refusing a man who wants to compete in the female Olympics. You see that happening and you see that fight going on right now. You know, it says that gender is fluid and can decide whatever it wants to be. Folks, that's Gnosticism. That's Gnosticism. Rejecting what God has created in favor of a secret knowledge that must be discovered. Folks, they're trying to shove that down our throat like nobody's business. Listen to me. God created man. God created women. And God created children, no matter what skin color they are, to be his own image bearers. Amen? And folks, that's it. And we don't need to stray from that word. Now, it's no secret that our modern world rejects that and claims, no, that you're actually better than everyone if you're a member of an oppressed group. You see that too. So the modern world rejecting the truth that everyone was created in the image of God has claimed that your membership to an ever-increasing group of perceived oppression is the most fundamental part of who you are, and that the lived experience of the, of the oppressed is to be listened to above God's Word. And folks, that's the truth of what's happening in our world. That's being shoved down our throat. How messed up is that? So you have these ever-increasing, this number of invented words, new words here, so that people can unveil their oppressed status, like uh, sapiosexual and, and cuparosexual and demisexual and pansexual and polysexual, and on and on the list goes. <clears throat> Behind this prohibition of marriage from the Gnostics is a rejection of something that God has created to be good and holy. Folks, we don't need to forget that. All of these are forms of this new Gnosticism or rejection of everything that God has created and called good. <clears throat> and these, let me tell you, they're not just misled musings of a sociology professor at our universities, and they're not just neutral ideas. These are demonic. Make no mistake about it. These are demonic. D, beware of those who allow what the Bible forbids and forbids what the Bible allows. You know, these teachers also require abstinence from certain kinds of food. 
these are the teachers that they'll say, you know, if you're going to be our disciples, you got to read this book or you have to go to this conference or you have to follow this list of leaders or you have to avoid these stores. Now think about this for a second. <clears throat> In those days, you couldn't just go down to food line and pick up your meat. You couldn't do it that way. You had to go to vendors um, in the marketplace there. And meat was generally a delicacy there. And oftentimes, the meat that was sold by those vendors was surplus from food that had been sacrificed to idols. And no one was more stingier about their food laws than the Jews. And they thought that if you ate that food dedicated to idols, then... Um, the, you ingest that demon inside of you. I mean, they had some pretty strange ways there. But imagine going to the grocery store with your spouse. You go down here to Food Line, you go in with your spouse, and you see a big, juicy steak. He's like, we'd like to have that for supper. But on the package, there was a sticker that said, devoted to Satan. You know, I kind of perceive that you might just say, hey, let's pass on this one. <laughs> we won't want this one here. Apparently, there was some kind of mystical kind of asceticism in Ephesus that was urging people to embrace this new kind of legalism here. Now, this is what Jesus rebuked the Pharisees for in Matthew 15, in verses 17 through 20. He says, Do you not see that whatever goes into your mouth passes into the stomach and is expelled? By what comes out of the mouth proceeds from the heart, and this defiles a person. For what, for out of the heart come evil thoughts, murder, adultery, sexual immorality, theft, false witness, slander. These are what defile a person. But to eat what unwashed hands does not does not defile anyone. You see, then the Pharisees, they were so focused on the external things that they think that might make them unclean that they ignored the internal things. They never got that far. You know, I'm reminded of Acts in the 10th chapter in verse 15 where, where Peter, you know, a disciple of Jesus, he was given a dream by God of animals coming out of the sky and a voice tells Peter, you remember this story? He says, get up, kill, and eat. And Peter's basic response was, no, you know, how can I eat things that are unclean? And paraphrasing this, and the voice says, do not call anything impure or unclean that God has made clean. And then Peter wakes up. God sends him to baptize Cornelius, the very first Gentile convert into Christianity, you know, that we know of in history. And that's pretty neat. And then Colossians 2 and uh, verses 20 and uh, 20 through 23, it reminds us, if with Christ you died to the element, elemental spirits, um, of the world, why, as you were still alive in the world, do you submit to regulations? Do not handle, do not taste, do not touch, referring to things that all perish as they are used, according to human precepts and teachings. These have indeed an appearance of wisdom in promoting self-made religion and asceticism and severity to the body but they are of no value in stopping the indulgence of the flesh. It was um, Hayden Robertson, he said this. He said, legalism 
is when the application of a principle is given all the force of the principle itself. And I think that's pretty good. Folks, there are some traditions and there are some teachers and there are some Christians who want to elevate the, the application to the point where it becomes requirement and in doing so, it obscures the gospel. And we need to be aware of that. But Paul reminds Timothy right here in the face of these Gnostics in verses 4 and 5, he says, For everything created by God is good, and nothing is to be rejected if it is received with thanksgiving, for it is made holy by the word of God in prayer. So folks, do not allow what the Bible forbids, and do not forbid what the Bible allows. And finally, in verse 6, we come to the last point here, the response to apostasy. You know, if you put these things before the brothers, you will be a good servant of Christ Jesus, being trained in the words of the faith and of the good doctrine that you have followed. Put these things before the brothers. In other words, folks, do not be afraid to question about false teaching, to question about false teachers. Don't be afraid to do that. Test the Spirit. Be discerning. Be wise about what you're listening to, about who you're reading, about what podcasts you're listening to. And then train yourselves in the words of the faith. You know, <clears throat> study what the Bible teaches about false doctrine. Study what the Bible teaches about false teachers. You know, we need to be like the noble Bereans there who examined the scriptures daily. They were in the scriptures to confirm what Paul said was true. Let me tell you something. It's easy to get lost when you're trusting the wrong authorities. We need to trust in the sufficiency of the scripture. Folks, regardless of what our world tells us or tries to shove down our throat, our guidebook needs to be the word of God, period. It's like that. And then, in closing, I want to make this one last comment here. In Jude, verses 22, 23, there's a great image here. It says, have mercy on those who doubt. Save others by snatching them out of the fire. Folks, let me encourage you. We're to snatch our friends out of the fire of false teaching the way that we would snatch a stick out of a campfire without getting ourselves burned. Folks, if we love our friends, we're to go to them and love and tell them and let's try to take them out of that fire. Try to get them to turn back to the way God would have them to be. And if you know someone that's embraced false teaching, do your homework out of love. You must confront them. Snatch them out of the fire if you love them. There was a, <clears throat> a science researcher. He used GPS monitors to track numerous volunteers that um, they tried to walk a straight line without using technology, you know, and they tried to walk this straight line through Germany's um, Beanwald Forest and the Sahara Desert. So here's these people walking out there, but when the clouds obstructed the sun here, errors quickly accumulated. And small de deviations soon became large deviations. 
And they ended up basically walking in circles, you know, with no external clues to help them. People will basically travel around 100 meters from their starting position, according to this article, you know, regardless of how long they walk. Folks, what I'm trying to say is this, without the objective standard of Christ and his word, we get lost. And we will fall to every wind and doctrine that comes around if we don't know the word. We need to stay in the word. If somebody brings a question to us, we need to say, let's see what the Bible says. My opinion don't mean anything. Yours don't mean anything. God's word means everything. That's what our opinion should be, folks. Thank God he's given us his word that is sufficient and we need to be guilty of using it. Amen? Let's pray. Father, we're grateful that we have this opportunity to serve you. We're grateful we have this opportunity to look in your word. And Father, the way only you can do, we pray that you would take these words that were spoken today and apply it to each one of our hearts as we need it applied to. Father, we pray that as his words applied to our heart, we will make the corrections and the adjustments that we need to make. And Father, help us to ever watch out for Gnosticism. Help us to keep that at bay. Help us to keep your word and focused on you at all times. In Jesus' name.